Hey, everybody, welcome to another episode of Let's Read the Bible, a podcast where we take a deep dive into biblical topics in a way that's easy to understand. If you'd like to follow along, you can download the YouVersion Bible app and subscribe to the Let's Read the Bible Together reading plan. We also have the reading plan available on our website, grove.church. And make sure as you're reading along, listening along, or maybe reading separately, as those questions arise in your hearts, in your minds, and in your souls, to write them down and send them to us. Mm, There's two ways you can send them to us. One is via email. Uh, The email address is info at grove.church. Make sure to put in the subject line a podcast question. Uh, Or you can direct message our Facebook Facebook page. We are the Grove Church in Washington State. Uh, I don't know why I wrestle with Facebook page all the time. Whenever I come to that line, it's just a a, hard one. It's a weird way for me to say it. Anyways, uh, would love for you to send us those questions. We love to take time as much as we can week over week to answer some of those questions. So uh, this week we've got one we'll hit at the end of our podcast. Uh, But until we do, we're going to continue are working through Deuteronomy. All right. Well, this week we are, as Aaron said, continuing through Deuteronomy. We're going to go from chapters 15 to 28. Uh, We're still firmly in that presence section. And honestly, we're just going to kind of do a little bit of a, a little bit of a recap, if you will, kind of a 30,000 foot view over most of it. Um, And then you can kind of pick out as you're reading, you can kind of say like, oh, that's what's happening here. So in chapter 15, we're reminded about the sabbatical year where every seven years, creditors were to release the debts of their debtors, as well as letting all slaves and indentured servants go free. Can we bring that back? It's cool. Every seven years, all my debts go away? Yeah. Yes, please. That's a, that, that, well, there, there is a line too about, uh, I should have written it down exactly what it says, but basically it's also talking about how not taking advantage of that and how that is also sin. To be like, well, the, the thing is coming up here pretty soon, so I might as well just, you know, he's like... <laughs> Basically, Yahweh. I wasn't looking to take advantage of it. Yeah, I, I just would love for seven after seven years, my debt go away. Fair, yeah, yeah. It's it's interesting because like God's whole thing is, uh, He's put in this provision essentially to help the poor and help people from really just dropping down into just terrible levels yeah, of destitution. Positive, yeah. But at the same time, He's like, yeah, let's not take advantage of um, let's not take advantage of a, of a free gift from God, which you know. What is what is human history if not if not doing that? <laughs> yeah, it's so true. Uh, that's funny. Uh, chapter seventeen outlaws certain forms of worship, like planting an asherah by an altar. So that's that's a no no. Um, yeah, I wonder if that comes up ever. Hmm. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I wonder if that comes up later in the Old Testament. That's like the office moments where you look the the, the characters look right at the camera. Yeah, that's that's, that's, that's the verbal. That's the verbal looking at the camera right there. Don't what plant just did. any Asherah looks at camera. Uh, chapter 18 gives us a little a little prophecy. It says, uh, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen just as you desired the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, let me not hear the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire lest I die. And the Lord said to me, they are right. In what they have spoken, I will raise up from them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command them, command him. Hmm. I wonder if that comes up ever. So, when you see Jesus asking the question, "Who do the people say that I am?" Is are and yeah, with John the Baptist, it's are you the prophet? And he says, "No, I'm not the prophet." Nope. Yeah, but, exactly. Yeah, but I bet you, I bet yep. you, the guy who comes after him is interesting. All right. So from uh, chapters 19 through 26, this is where we're really just going to kind of some quick hits. It's almost. It's almost Proverbs where it's kind of just line by line and a few things kind of, but it's not necessarily connected. It's really a recap of the law. Um, we see that Moses reminding his people of, again, 
because they have been set apart by Yahweh. They are to live set apart lives. And here are a few. These are these include, but are not limited to, uh, cities of refuge. So it's one of those things where if you are convicted of uh, or if you're guilty of a more minor crime and you're afraid of being punished by death or having revenge taken against you, you can go to a city of refuge. A famous one here would be manslaughter. So you kill someone without intention, uh, but you think their family is going to take revenge on you. You can go to one of these cities. So, hey, that's kind of nice. Uh, there's laws on how to conduct war. And he's essentially like, hey, you know what? Always offer peace. Come on, guys. Let's not, you know, let's not do things like they always do. Uh, what to do about unsolved murders, which I thought was really interesting. And I'd never caught that before, but it's essentially like, hey, yeah, if a murder is unsolved, you go to the nearest town and they kind of offer a sacrifice and repentance for it. And then they wash their hands of it and that's the end. So, all right, cool. Uh, How being hung on a tree is a cursed thing. I wonder if that ever comes up later in the Bible. I don't think it does. Wow, man. Just kidding. I wonder if someone gets hung on a tree for the redemption of humanity. Uh, so another one is building a guardrail around your roof, which I just thought that was interesting because <laughs> essentially it's saying like you don't want people falling off. So it's like actually in the law that if you have an open access roof, there needs to be a parapet around there to. Uh, well, and, and houses back then were flat top roofs. Right. And they would do oftentimes, sometimes entertaining or they use the, the roof that wasn't at a point. They would use the roof as another entertainment space or a place to meet and gather as well. So to hide spies in the case spies. of Rahab. That was so. in the hay. And it would, uh, I mean, the other side of it too is storage too, right? They, it's a yep. place to put to put stuff, the hay or whatever. To this day. It's like uh, a, pa- a pantry. It's like all an outdoor of, pantry. All of the expensive equipment at the church is kept on the roof. Just kidding. You're not supposed to tell anybody <laughs> that. Shoot. Although there is still a stage up there from driving from driving yeah. church. So that's a good time. Uh, after that, it's like, you know, who isn't it, who isn't, isn't allowed in the Lord's assembly, which is the whole thing. Uh, divorce laws, which is kind of also talked about when uh, the Pharisees come and say to Jesus, um, I forgot exactly what it is, but essentially it's the woman who has multiple husbands uh, in heaven who she married to and they all die. And he kind of, Jesus kind of talks about this whole thing. I'm like, listen, guys, like marriage isn't in heaven the way that it is here on earth. And also he talks about in the hardness of your heart, God allowed for divorce to happen, even though that's not what he wanted. Hey, this is that, this is that thing that he was talking about. Uh, not making newly married men go to war for a year, which also was one I had never thought. Yeah, I never thought of that before. But essentially, if you got married, you had a year to kind of, um, and really what it was, yeah, what it was really for is to have children and to let your name carry on, um, to enjoy that first year of marriage. And then you could be called to war after that. But if your nation was at war and you have just gotten married, you were not allowed to go to war. Exempt. Yep. Uh, and then always offering your best for your tithe, which is kind of a, it's a little bit lost on us today because our money is uh, is money, right? It's yeah. it's paper money that carries a value. And so when we offer our tithe, it's not as if like there's you know, we don't go through and offer like our crispest dollar bills or whatever it is. It's especially now in the digital age. It's all, it's all, it's all the same. <laughs> Here's my crispy hundred dollar digital contribution. Exactly. It's nice and fresh. Um, but what it does point to is back then when your currency is in your wealth is in your land, it's in your livestock, it's in your, uh, Produce. Physical assets, if you exactly. will. So it's saying, yeah, when you're doing your offering, don't be like, oh, I need to give God my cows. Um, that one's sick. And then, you know, no, it's like you, you're going to find your best ones. Those are the ones you sacrifice to God with your grain offerings. It's not the grain that's kind of misshapen. It's no, what is your best grain? That's what you're giving to God. Um, and I think for us, even today, while the principle doesn't necessarily apply in the sense of like, what is your best 
digital, whatever it is, it does apply in the sense of, is it a priority in our lives? Are yeah. we giving God our best um, when we're when we're giving to the Lord? So. Yeah. So, I mean, if you got a stack of lumber somewhere, give your straightest boards, not your warped boards or bent boards. Exactly. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. But it is, I mean, I would even say it's even, it's a matter of, of not just the heart, but I think practically speaking, even when it comes to giving our, our I mean, time, talent, resources, however you want to break it down. But when we're tithing, it's Am I giving the best could be the first portion? Yep. Am I giving out of my, am I giving right away or am I waiting till the very end of the month to see what I have left to give? Like that, that would be a very practical example of, of, of the best versus the, the worst or the leftovers, I guess, if yeah. that's a better way to say like it. Like when, so. I, when I'm being intentionally generous, am I doing that? at the end to see like, well, let's see what I can do. Or is that a, a decision I'm making up front and I'm sacrificing in other areas to make yep. that generosity happen. Yep. Uh, and then finally from 27 to 28, we see a ritual complete with uh, blessings and curses that Moses calls down upon God's people. Here's a little bit of a sample of that. Uh, and then we'll wrap it up for Deuteronomy for today. Uh, from 27, 16 through 26, it says, cursed be anyone who dishonors his father or his mother and all the people shall say amen. So you can kind of imagine Moses saying amen. this. The, amen. Uh, cursed be anyone who moves his neighbor's landmark. Oh, boy. Amen. I don't, I mean, I don't really have, I don't own land, so I guess I don't know what that is. But there's, <laughs> I skipped one of those. There's lo- property stakes in people's property right. lines. And if you were to move it. I, I forgot where, because I, I, it was one of the laws I didn't write it down when I did the include, included, but not limited to. But one of the laws was you, you shall not move land stakes to show what the land property is between you and your neighbor. And it is interesting too. Uh, one thing I've noticed going through this year in uh, let's read the Bible content that I didn't pick up in previous years is how important land staying the same was for ancient Israel. Hmm. Because you see so many laws that are about, well, if so-and-so dies, who gets the land? It always gets returned every few years. Um, if you buy land, it has to be returned to the original family. Like the, It's interesting to me that the land that God promised to each tribe was not to be changed. That was that was their land forever. Yeah. Um, and so, and obviously that's not the way it is today, which is a, which, you know, is a bummer, but- yeah. but, um, we, but we still like to fight and bicker over who gets what. Because it it was part of their tangible inheritance, right? It was right. part of their 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 again to use the business phrase, right? The physical asset that they got. It was part. It was it was something they were going to gain. And if it's if if it's a smaller portion than what was originally promised, then then it's not maintaining the integrity of God's promise and provision in that regard. So, yep. Uh, cursed be anyone who misleads a blind man on the road. Amen. Yeah, you know, right? jerk. Jeez. <laughs> Uh, cursed be anyone who perverts justice due to the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Aaron. Uh, and I think there is just, it's a theme that we see all throughout scripture as well, but the, the importance of applying laws and protections, especially to those who had no way to protect themselves. And so that's where you get the sojourner, or in other words, the traveler who doesn't have a home, the orphan and the widow. Those people are probably the most vulnerable in that society and the law needs to be applied equally to them. Mm -hmm. So really, I mean, yeah, really radical for that day as well. Uh, Cursed be anyone who lies with his father's wife because he has uncovered his father's nakedness. We didn't say amen there. 
Wow. All right. Okay. I didn't want to say I'm into that one. That was a, that was a whole. <laughs> it's a little weird. It kind of, well, it's also funny because it just goes to uh, what we read in First Corinthians last week. <laughs> is you know stop sleeping with your stepmom. Come on, guys. This has been a this has been a law for a long time. Amen. Uh, curse be anyone who lies with any kind of animal. So Amen. Going to leave that one there. Uh, curse be anyone who lies with his sister, whether the daughter of his father or the daughter of his mother. Amen. All right. Curse be anyone who lies with his mother. Boy, there's a lot of lying. Uh, lies with his mother-in-law. Amen. Curse be anyone who strikes down his neighbor in secret. Amen. Yeah. You know, if you're going to kill your, someone, do it in the open. <laughs> Dang. No, on. don't do it. Come on, people of Israel. Uh, curse be anyone who takes a bribe to shed innocent blood. Amen. So shout out to assassins there. Uh, and then curse be anyone who does not confirm the words of this law by doing that. Amen. Why did you pick this sampling? <laughs> what? <laughs> this is such a random weird sampling. Well, this is the... You said it's a sampling of the of of what Moses was saying. I'm like... If this is a sampling, shouldn't there be another section you, we could have hit that was a little this bit? Was, this one I thought was- A bit easier to read. Yeah. This one I thought was fun because it's the only part that has the structure of cursed and the people replying amen. I just thought oh, it, was, got it. it was a unique- Got it. It was a unique part of it. Yeah. It's definitely unique. So there you go. Uh, but that's that's uh, that wraps it up for Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy. And now um, we're going to ask people to leave, leave a review after that? You Come know, on, man. Listeners, if you loved- <laughs> If Amen. You, if you love listening to our list of not our list, oh, Lord's man. list of laws like that it's in the Bible, yeah, leave us a five star review. And Apple even Podcasts. Even if you didn't enjoy it, please leave us a five star review. Spotify, you know, it helps us out. It helps get the podcast out there to more people and continue to grow uh, our community of people reading the Bible together. So it would mean it would mean a lot to us. And if you write one, we'll read it on the show, just because you know. Because we're like that. Here's the deal. I, it, I'm going to ask again at the end of 1 Corinthians because I think 1 Corinthians is a better placement for asking for review after that debacle. No, I'm just kidding. How dare you? Um, we have a lot of fun. But uh, so today we're – this week we're actually going to be reading the bulk, the bulk of the second half of 1 Corinthians. And then we're going to shift in – I'm actually going to cover the entire book um, because we're going to bleed – the chapters bleed into the following week as well. Uh, and so I'm just going to cover all of 1 Corinthians because we're jumping in a couple new books next week as well. Calling it audible. Um, like calling it. an audible, just doing what I can. Uh, next week, we're jumping into the companion uh, letter to the Corinthian church in the second uh, Corinthians. And so, uh, but I'll just wrap up the entire book today uh, and then go from there. Uh, so chapter eight uh, through 14 is what we'll read this week. Then chapters 15 and 16 are next week. So uh, eight through 14, uh, the bulk of eight, uh, we see uh, continued conversation from previous chapter where Paul is addressing uh, all the way through chapter 11, where Paul is addressing questions and uh, problems that have come up. So he's addressing specific things. Um, and and they're kind of not they're kind of categorical in some respects, um, but really it's kind of a, a you see now a litany of everything Paul's addressing. Again, just a re- reiteration from last week, uh, Paul is addressing problems he's seeing within the church. He started off with the idea of disunity uh, around the gospel, the message of the gospel, uh, which is the root problem for the dysfunction and the discord and in essence the the heart and the reality of all these problems he's addressing. Uh, and so it continues in here uh, and to where he starts talking through the aspects of worship. Now, this is like an actual gathering of the body of Christ together. Uh, and so in chapter eight, we see right off the bat, he hits this idea of eat, eating meat that's offered to idols. Um, and the whole point of the, the statement is not whether or not they should eat the meat offered to idols, which the gods have no authority. So Paul 
is in essence alluding to the freedom that we now have in Christ. We recognize that there is no authority uh, with these little G gods that people sacrifice food to. Uh, and so he says that there's there's freedom to do so, but the real point of it is, is that we must be aware of the impact of our freedom as, as believers by using it uh, with which we, it can potentially result in the wounding of the conscience of someone who's weak. In other words, someone who's not mature in their faith or understanding the fullness of the freedom just yet. Well, it's interesting too, because I think so much of Paul's letters are encouragements for Jews to show acceptance to the Gentiles, whereas this is actually the opposite. Yes. It's the Gentiles saying, hey, you have the freedom to do this, but just know this is really offensive to, to Jews. And it, go, it goes back to... Um, Oh, I'm getting everything mixed up if it was this week or last week. But the idea of, you know, like don't uh, don't eat things offered to idols, don't have anything to do with idols, burn the idols, that whole sort of thing. That mm-hmm. was very much ingrained into Jewish culture. Yeah. And so for the Gentiles to do it would be offensive. Absolutely. And so again, Paul is trying to provide unity and this question of unity and conversation of unity for the church and understanding we're not all the same place. And we all have different liberties and different rights and different freedoms. But at the end of the day, the heart is how do we how do we continue to align our lives? And, and this next section is this idea of Paul laying down his rights uh, because of the gospel. And so he's challenging a Gentile audience that like you may have freedom to do so, but also understand other cultures don't have that freedom or it's not as they, they haven't arrived at that point in their theology of, of Christ and the gospel. They haven't arrived at that point yet. And so you've got to be mindful. We have to be willing. And this is this is probably my biggest revelation over the last three to four years. We have got to be willing to lay down our rights for the sake of the gospel. And that means that we do anything much like Paul says that he'll do anything short of sin. He'll do, he'll, he becomes a slave to all so that by every means possible, he might win some to faith in Christ. Uh, and so it, it, it shifts from this conversation of don't eat meat that's offered to or eating meat offered to idols. You're well able to do it, but if it's, if it's going to offend or wound the conscience of a fellow believer, then withhold, um, lay down that right and that freedom. Uh, and he doesn't just talk it. He then speaks about his, uh, his own life in the, the, bulk of chapter, all of chapter nine is about him talking about his rights as an apostle, that he had all sorts of rights. He had all sorts of privileges, uh, yet he laid down those rights to become a slave to all so that he can win some for Christ. At the, at the end of the day, we are ambassadors of Christ. Our job and our lives are meant to reflect that truth, which means we withhold, which means we lay down rights, which means we lay down things for the sake of others having a chance to know the hope of Jesus. Um, it wasn't about what he deserved or was entitled to. And I can't think of a better message that'll preach to the lives and hearts of us today as American Christians than this passage specifically. Uh, and so I'm just going to read a, a few verses from what Paul is saying in chapter nine, verses 15 to 18. He says this, for my part, I have used none of these rights. And we, he just got done listing all sorts of reasons why he has rights and all the rights that he has. And he says this, for my part, I've used none of these rights, nor have I written these things that they may be applied in my case. For it would be better for me to die than for anyone to deprive me of my boast. You will find in 2 Corinthians, just a heads up, he hates boasting. He, he thinks boasting is as immature and immaterial when it comes to faith in Christ and following Jesus. Boasting is not the thing he likes to do. Uh, but he says this, for if I preach the gospel, I have no reason to boast because I'm compelled to preach and woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if unwillingly, I am entrusted with a commission. What then is my reward? to preach the gospel and offer it free of charge and not make full use of my rights in the gospel. Every motivation Paul has is the gospel, how he responds, how he works his tail off 
outside of preaching to supply and provide for his needs, to cover his expenses. He does it in his own pocket. As an apostle, he could call on the church to then support, to then pay, to give him money so that way he can live and 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 enjoy life, not to the excess, not to excess, but to be able to live without the stress and anxiety that creates, that comes without having stable, secure income. He could demand uh, respect to his authority. Uh, but Paul says point blank, the gospel is the authority I, I cling to. It's, 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 I'm compelled to preach the gospel. Nothing else matters but the gospel. And so he creates this tension for us as we read today, so many years later, this reality of, of laying down our rights. And he puts it on the heels of, of really challenging the Gentile audience uh, to recognize their freedoms are not always going to be in alignment with the whole body. And so it's being willing to lay down our rights for the whole body. Um, he then goes into this appeal coming out of that in chapter 10, uh, verses 1 through 22, where he uses Israel as a negative illustration. Um, he says Israel had a major advantage, uh, but because of their indulgent, immoral, and idolatrous, idolatrous behavior, they disqualified themselves. The advantage that they had is to be used as an instrument for God's hope, God's purposes, God's word, or God's gospel, I guess is a better way to say it. Um, but because of their indulgent, immoral, and idolatrous behavior, which we've seen even through some of the Deuteronomy conversations, even the cursed section we just read, hey. and the people said amen, uh, that they they are a negative illustration. Temptation is common. And, and what Paul is saying, in essence, we must learn from Israel's failure and not provoke the Lord to jealousy by our behaviors. Because um, God is not going to sit by and let us wander. He's he's a jealous God who wants his people um, to live in the freedom he called. Um, and Israel is not the right. They gave into temptation. They gave into the culture around them. And Paul is speaking directly to a Corinthian audience that is aligning with culture uh, and giving into temptation of the times. Uh, and so Paul uh, is calling them out on, on that truth. He continues in chapter 23 to 11, verse one, which I want to read in a few moments, uh, just this picture of uh, Christian liberty, uh, where they take the stance that all things may be lawful. Um, and so I'm going to pursue them, but he, innocent, again, it's, re, it's, it's um, complimentary to first Corinthians six, where he says, everything may be permissible, but not everything is beneficial. And then he says, all things may be lawful, but not profitable or edifying. Um, we must, is what Paul is reminding us, we must live with grace and freedom in what we do. Um, whatever may be problematic for a weaker brother, we must give up our right to do so because of our freedom. Um, so he says this in chapter 10, 23 to 11, 1. Uh, he says, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything builds up. No one is to seek his own good, but the good of the other person. Eat everything that is sold in the meat market without raising questions for the sake of conscience. Since the, And this is referring back to the eating the meat of the idols. Well, did this come from idols or did it not come from idols? I don't know if I can buy it. He says, in essence, just give it the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> Eat the meat that's in the market. It's okay. We have the freedom to do that. Um, since, And he says, because the, Lord, the earth is the Lord's and all that is in it. If 27 says, if any unbelievers invite you over and you want to go, eat everything that is set before you without raising questions for the sake of conscience. So if you're sitting there and uncomfortable, like, well, was this meat that he's giving me to idols? I don't know if I can eat it as a belief. I don't know if I can do that. It becomes offensive to the, to the, the, the house and the home you're sitting in. So just eat it and eat it in good conscience, knowing that everything is the Lord's and all the earth is the Lord's and all that is in it. Uh, he says this in 28, but if someone says to you, this food is from a sacrifice, do not eat it out of consideration from the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. He's not contradicting himself there. He's saying based upon context, if you don't know it's from idols, feel free to eat it. If someone tells you it's from idols and you know it's going to cause an issue of conscience for them, don't eat it. Withhold. Use your Christian liberty wisely. 
He says, I do not mean to, I do not mean your own conscience, but the other person's. For why is my freedom judged by another person's conscience? He continues on in chapter th- or verse 30. If I partake with thanksgiving, why am I criticized? Because of something for which I gave thanks. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or Greeks or the church of God. Just as I also try to please everyone and everything, not seeking my own benefit, but the benefit of many so that many, so that they might be saved. And then he says this first chapter 11, verse one, imitate me as I also imitate Christ. Very famous verse of Paul, but it comes in and in, in the very heels of the challenge of eating in the community of believers, whether they are Gentile or Jew, or they're yet they're unbelieving. The whole idea is how do you help bridge, build bridges to help reach people? And so Paul's saying, use your Christian liberty wisely uh, and with grace and full wisdom. Continues on. He talks about heaven or head coverings for women. And I remember we had, you had some insight about this. Was it last year or the year before? Yeah. Um, it was like, so, so really, if you're, if you're listening with kids, skip ahead like two minutes, if you don't want them to, it's just, it's, it's weird, but anyway. It totally is weird. All right, here you go. You can skip ahead now. Three, two. Okay. So if you read ancient Greek uh, medical journals, and I shouldn't brag as if I've done that, but (laughs) from what I've understood of other people who have read them, uh, the hair was considered a really important part of fertility. And so the idea, and obviously we know this to not be true, but the idea was that hair was hollow. And so the longer hair a woman had, the more fertile she was because upon attempted conception, more suction meant that more sperm went, uh, it's, it's weird more basically. Yeah. You had a better chance of conceiving the longer hair that you had, um, because that was the view of the day hair was viewed as part of the genitalia. So it would be the equivalent. So that, cause it, it, the head covering thing always made me wonder, yeah, like, what is that about? It, it is weird. Um, and finally we got a question in a couple of years ago. So I really did a deep dive into it. Uh, so it seems that that is what is happening here. So it would be the equivalent today of when we ask people in the church, dress modestly. It's the idea of like, hey, don't bring attention. Um, don't bring attention to yourself in that way, men and women. Yes. And so uh, for Paul, part of in that culture, what modesty meant was to cover up your hair because it was considered inappropriate to show it in public yep. at that point. So that that's what was going yep. on there. And so again, it's a cultural thing. Paul is speaking to a cultural issue in the church. Um and suggests and recommends women wearing head coverings because he doesn't want he he doesn't want anything that the the the, the gathered body of Christ he doesn't want anything to be distracting from the main purpose the purpose of meeting and gathering because of Christ to affirm to encourage to build up one another so we can they can continue to live in light of the truth of the gospel so that the world would know mm-hmm. of, the, of the of the hope of Jesus um, so that was that was part of the reason his motivation. So we even see that bleed into this conversation with the Lord's Supper in chapter 11, verses 17 to 34. This is, I've used this at different times when we've taken communion together as a church, uh, but I thought it was really interesting. Um, part of the reason for the Lord's Supper, Supper uh, addressing here, if you will, by Paul, is because in ancient times, what would happen is, is the Lord's Supper would be a reason for the church to gather. Uh, and what, and part of their gathering would entail food again. So that's why you see some of the food and some of the addressing of meat, the addressing of what you eat. Um, it, it's you're gathered together as the body of Christ. And it was meant to be a, uh, a unifying community building reality mm-hmm. where you see people from different social statuses, economic statuses from different, uh, even, even family statuses you'd see them to come together because of the hope of Jesus. Go back to the unity tension. 
What was happening with the Lord's Supper, the purpose of the Lord's Supper is to gather together and to share a meal, to celebrate community, koinonia, ecclesia, the whole picture Ooh, good Greek of, words. What, of what Jesus intended uh, the, the gathering of the body to be. But what was happening here is they would gather and those of lesser status or who would bring lesser meals or lesser food because they didn't have as much money, they were poorer. They were beginning to be isolated away. They were becoming outcasts. And those who had better food or had more wealth, they would bring finer things. And they would take priority and preface in the house, eating together, being jovial together, getting drunk with wine, and, and in essence, disregarding those of lower established societal realities, the impoverished, the destitute. And it became this dividing practice. And so Paul is calling out and bringing back to mind what the Lord's Supper was intended to be. It was meant to be a, a um, an equalizing community gathering where everybody was in community together, not based upon social status, but beca- but based upon their standing because of Christ. And so it wasn't what it in- was intended to be. And so they were, so the richer were getting drunker and the poor were getting hungrier because they were limited in what they could have access to. They couldn't eat the finer things because the rich would disqu- uh, uh remove them or they would be forced, not like physically removed, but they would be shunned and pushed to the outskirts of that gathering in itself. Well, it reminds me, so even of that, so the we joke about that whole blessing and curses section that we read in Deuteronomy, but remember one of them is um, cursed be anyone who perverts justice due to the sojourner, the fatherless and the widow. And I think here we see a similar theme exactly. where don't discriminate against people because they are of a lesser social status yep. than you. So that's what was happening with the Lord's Supper. So that's why Paul called it out and Paul did correction. Um, he shifts in chapter 12 to address some key theological topics. Um, and this is chapter 12, 1 to 1440. And just a quick shot, it, it's talking about the gifts of the Spirit. It's talking about how the Holy Spirit is enabling and using uh, the body of Christ to edify, build up the body of Christ and through the gifts of the Spirit. So we see chapter 12 launch into this idea of the, of the gifts of the Spirit. This is what the Spirit gives. Uh, and it's a couple a couple of things I would highlight in this in this section specifically for in chapter 12, 1 to 1440 is it, it talks about the different gifts, but it says, but by the same Spirit. And th- the whole idea is that it's we are each given gifts based upon the Spirit's designation but it's by the same spirit. It's a unifying quality. It's a unifying act. It's not a, it's not a um, elevation where, okay, you've got this gift, you're better, but it's meant for that the entirety, the whole of the body would be edified and built up and encouraged together to continue living in the hope of Jesus. And then right smack dab in the middle of this passage of where Paul is addressing, it might not be legitimate in the middle, but 12, 13, 14, 13 hits uh, this tension and this picture of the whole idea of love. And this is where we get the conversation that if if I have all these words of wisdom and knowledge, but I have I speak not in love, then I'm just a loud gong and symbol. And, and it talks about the reality of love is the motivation behind not just the Spirit's empowerment through these gifts, but also should be the believer's use of these gifts to build and edify the church. Continues back into 1440 and wraps up and talks about the conversation of prophecy and tongues and, and the, the value and the reason for those gifts. Um, and again, at the end of the day, it's, it's that the body of Christ would be built up, 
empowered to reach those who don't yet know Jesus. Uh, and so that's the whole key theological topic there. Then he, and so that was where we're going to wrap up this week. We're going to finish the book of first Corinthians this week in chapter 14. Uh, next week, we're going to be getting into uh, chapter 15, 16. So I just want to cover those very quickly. Um, we see this conversation in 15, chapter one, verses 16, 12 is this conversation of the great mystery. Um, very simply put, the great mystery is the resurrection and not just the resurrection of Christ, but also the resurrection of the dead and the resurrection uh, in eternity for us. And because the resurrection of Christ was witnessed by by many different witnesses, it's the, it becomes it's based in certainty, which means our resurrection as in Paul's addressing the Corinthians, our resurrection of the dead, those who are believers, is also certain. Uh, and so he's attaching this mystery of the resurrection, which people can't fathom entirely. They've heard stories or maybe they've seen Lazarus or they've seen different scenarios, um, but they can't fully understand it. It's a great mystery to see how it's going to play out and what it's going to be like. Even today, we don't know what it's going to be like, but what we do know is it's certain because it, it was there was eyewitness accounts of Jesus' resurrection, which then affirms the certainty that you and I, if we pass away before Christ returns, that the resurrection that we will all partake in is certain as well. Uh, and then it also means because this new resurrection is certain, then it's also pro the promise of a new body. We will have a new body, which is suited for heaven because our earthly bodies, our earthly tents, as Paul would say, um, are not fit for eternity. They will they will waste away in eternity because we will be with the holy God. So we ourselves, our bodies, physical bodies must be holy as well. Uh, and so I'm going to read this from 15 verses 50 to 58. Um, it says this, what I'm saying, uh, brothers and sisters, is this, the flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor can corruption inherit incorruption. Listen, I'm telling you a mystery. We will not all fall asleep, but we will all be changed in the moment, in a twinkling of an eye. If you've been in church for very long, you will have heard even this reference. Uh, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we will all be changed. For this corruptible body must be clothed with incorruptibility, and this mortal body must be clothed with immortality. When this corruptible body is clothed with incorruptibility, and this mortal body is clothed with immortality, then the saying that is written will take place. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory? Where death is your seeing? This is an allusion to Psalms. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us, us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast and movable, always excelling in the Lord's work, because you know that you labor in the Lord, that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And this is kind of where Paul brings the last kind of crux and the point for the first Corinthians. This is what we hold to. The resurrection's coming. We are promised eternity, new bodies, new existence, new earth, and new heavens. And he's drawing the Corinthians to remember the hope of the gospel. It's not just for being saved from hell and, and promised eternity with Jesus, but it also is the promise of a coming resurrection. Um, verse 16 ends with the regular greetings and exhortation that Paul likes to give. Um, and typical, he reflects and responds and says, hey, so-and-so greets you. And it's a really good point to, to just spend time and visit, man, okay, these individuals were with Paul when he was writing this letter, uh, and then final exhortations to the church. And that'll wrap up the book of 1 Corinthians as we get into it next week. And I just want to hit it now so we can spend more time in the other books next week. So, uh, but that's 1 Corinthians. I mean, it's a very fast two-week uh, jaunt through uh, a very deep book, um, mm -hmm. but one that we just remember Paul is addressing from a father's perspective, the heart to to realign 
the, the operations and the function of the church based upon the unity of the gospel. And so he then addresses the, the things that are pro- causing disunity or, or symptoms of disunity within the church as a whole. All right. Well, before we wrap up this episode, we're going to answer a question that came in. And this one, boy, here's the deal. I love this question because it made me bust out my concordance, which is just one of my favorite things to do. And I wish do. you could see it right now because it's sitting on the desk Oh yeah, right by Evan. He's so excited. It is. He's giddy. Open. All right. So it's, it starts off with, whoa, crazy connection point. Uh, Job 25, 6 Bildad refers to the son of man as a worm. So this would be, if you remember Bildad's last speech, it's really short, uh, but that verse is how much less man who is a maggot and the son of man who is a worm. Hmm, That's interesting. Job, or sorry, not Job, Psalm 22, which is quoted by Jesus on the cross, refers and says, but I am a worm. And this is that that verse, it says, but I am a worm and not a man scorned by mankind and despised by the people. And then finally in Isaiah 41, We get this verse, fear not, you worm Jacob, you men of Israel. I am the one who helps you, declares the Lord. Your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. And the question continues. It says, have you heard the theory of the crimson worm that it hangs itself to a tree and it's blood red, but when it's finished caring for its offspring, it falls off white as snow. Is Job's reference coincidence or another piece to the weird analogy? Okay. So I'm going to be honest. I had never heard this before. Me either. So looked it up. The crimson worm is a worm that is found in the Middle East and is used to make red dyes. So it is something that people that the biblical authors would have probably been at least a little bit familiar with. The way it works, and I, I still don't have a full grasp of how everything happens, but it lays its eggs and kind of forms a cocoon of its own body that turns blood red. And then when the eggs hatch, the larvae survive by eating the mother worm that is still alive. And then, yeah, after it falls down, it's the blood, the red color loses and it falls down white. Um, so here's the deal. So the Hebrew word for the, for the worm that is used there is the same in all three verses. And it is tolea, which its root is Tola, meaning which is essentially from an unused word. From an unused word, it can mi- it can mean both worm and scarlet. So there is a possible connection that the worm that is being referred to here is actually specifically the the scarlet worm or the crimson worm. So Interesting. That's, yeah, that's not a hundred percent, but it is. It's it's possible. Yeah, at the very least, there's a, there's somewhat of a connection potentially. There. And so yeah, and at so the, and and at the very least, it'd be, it's such an intriguing thought, <laughs> like, right? Um, to even like, huh. Because when you think of something that is hanging on a tree that is blood and it all of a sudden falls and it's white and it kind of offers up its life for the survival of its offspring, that sound that does sound that does sound real familiar. Yeah, I, I feel like that's happened somewhere before. Um, and so, yeah, I'm not I'm not exactly comfortable saying for sure yeah, this is what's sure, happening yeah. in these, but I do think it's really interesting, especially when you can. Uh, and, he, and the listener points out in the question, it's the son of man. Is a is a worm is what it says in Job. Now, granted, it's not like capitalized, um, which they yeah. point out. So, but so it's it's almost certainly not referring to the Son of Man in the same way as uh, the Daniel prophecy and later Jesus would be referring to himself. But it is interesting that that same sequence of words, the Son yeah. of Man, is and then kind of compared to possibly specifically this kind of worm. So, um, yeah, it, it, unfortunately, it's kind of it's hard to land on a concrete answer of for sure this is what's going on here. But it is it is definitely interesting. Yeah. Um, and I had to like, like I said, I had to bust out the concordance, make sure the Hebrew word was the same and make sure the root word actually was what the root word was. So, cause you know, you can't trust what you read on the internet all the time. Not but all the time. Anyway. Only it, if it's from Wikipedia. Obviously. Uh, <laughs> I'm kidding. 
Anyway, so there you go. Sorry, yeah. not like that's a, a rad question. Yeah, though. not a concrete answer, but definitely something that gave me a lot of thought. Where I was reading through, I was like, "Huh, that's re- that is really interesting." Very interesting. All right. Well, that now officially does wrap up this week's episode of Let's Read the Bible. Uh, as a reminder, we are a podcast of the Grove Church, but we're not the only resource of the Grove Church. You can find all of our other resources on our website, grove.church. And if this podcast has been helpful to you and you would like to financially contribute to the ministry that the church does, you can do that on our website as well. There's a give button in the upper right-hand corner. But hey, thanks everyone for listening. Have a great week.